You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. This morning, I'm taking the kids to school, and I walk outside, and I'm smelling gas throughout the entire neighborhood. And I call 911, and the operator, like, you know, he's like, where's your emergency? And I go, oh, I'm in Evergreen Park. He goes, what's your address? And I give it to him, and he goes, what's the problem? And I go, it smells like gas outside, like really bad. And I and I'm, I feel like I need to back myself up, right? Because, you know, people always say they smell something, and they're normally wrong. You know, like I've taken 911 calls. I was a 911 dispatcher for 10 years. And a lot of times they show up and they don't smell anything. They're like, ah, this guy, this guy's off his rocker. So right away, I'm like, the kids smell it too. And the guy goes, don't worry, sir. Everybody smells it. I go, what? He goes, yeah, Chicago, Evergreen, Oak Lawn. Like the whole area is just covered in gas. And I was like, should I be concerned? And he's like, well, they're looking into it. That was the worst thing I've ever heard. Looking into it. (laughs) Hey, you know, by the way, we know everybody smells this gas, but don't worry. We're checking. Is the atmosphere going to ignite? Like, I was like, I don't want to hear we're looking into it. You're telling me that there's a gas cloud that's covering multiple square miles of area and you're looking into it? I went in the house. I was I was like, well, as long as it doesn't start smelling in here, I guess I'll be okay. Like, I, I don't. And right now, I have no idea what the cause is. I know I want to leave town. It's been a deep freeze. It's been, you know, terrible weather. Now we got freezing rain. I almost fell down the stairs three times over the last 24 hours walking around. And I want to go to Hawaii. Cork and Carrie and Cork and Carrie at the park are sending you to Hawaii. The drawing is on March 15th. And the way that you enter is very simple. Go into Cork and Carry in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton, or go into Cork and Carry over at 106th and Western, either one of the locations, and just tell them you want to register for the trip to Hawaii. You don't have to purchase anything. You don't have to do a thing. And then Kona Beer and Cork and Carry at the park are going to send someone to Hawaii. You're getting a trip. You're getting out of town. You're getting away from the gas You're getting away from the cold. You're getting away from whatever terrible thing comes next. Maybe it'll be locust. I hate this time of year. No purchase necessary, but while you're there, if you want to, enjoy a $5 Kona draft. It's all brought to you by Kona and the proud sponsors of Socks in the Basement, Cork and Carry at the park. I could use a trip. Could you? Oh, I think I could definitely use a trip. I slid halfway down my driveway this morning and then slid halfway out of my car when I got to work and then... (laughs) And I'm not a figure skater. I don't look good in spandex. I cannot do any kind of an axle or a Lutz. You're just slipping and sliding all over the place. A guy who slid into town, uh, one of the uh, few interesting signings. I mean, there's been a lot of signings, but there's a few of them that I'm actually interested in. Eric Fetty giving some comments this week, or maybe it was over the weekend, uh, on MLB Network. Uh, I want I want to say it was on their ra- one of their radio programs. And he was asked why he decided to come to Chicago, because if you think about it, there were teams very early on in free agency that were attached to him. The Sox were not the only team. It wasn't like they just picked this guy out of nowhere. He had a no. spectacular season in the KBO, very similar to what we saw with Merrill Kelly, who then went out and had you know a Cy Young caliber season with the with the Diamondbacks this past year when he got back over to the states now and he and he's brought what he's learned and he's adjusted very quickly to the majors and been a very effective pitcher later on in his career and we're hoping we get that from Fetty 
but he had other suitors. And and, and it, I, I would imagine the way the, the question was phrased is, why the hell would you go to the White Sox? Because they're obviously not trying to win anything this year. And the, you know, hopefully it's a quick turnaround from what they're at right now and they get competitive again. But why would you come here when you had other teams that wanted your services? And he starts mentioning the people that he really believed in. First guy is Brian Bannister. I don't think people understand the weight amongst pitchers that Brian Bannister has. I, I mean, he he starts speaking so highly of him and starts talking about how he wants to pitch with this guy because of the way that he makes pitchers better. And then, you know, he had a conversation with Katz and he had a conversation with Katz. And by the way, he does not mention Pedro in any way when he's talking about the reasons why he came, because I think that's a lame duck manager that's getting a chance, right? Like Pedro can look at Chris Getz and be like, you have so many things you need to fix. I swear it wasn't my fault. It was those guys. So he's going to get a year here to kind of prove if that's true or not. And let's be honest, Ed, if he fails, he's the perfect thing for a new GM. If you want to change culture, and that's what Fetty was talking about, they want to build a completely different culture here. And I listened to what they wanted to build and I wanted to be here. When you're trying to change culture, which sometimes does not translate into more wins or losses, okay, but culture, when you're trying to do that, you also want to have a guy that you can give the X to to show everybody you're serious. And Pedro's that guy, I'm telling you this year. He's the guy that if he doesn't prove it, he'll get axed and it'll be to everybody else. Well, we're trying to build a culture and he couldn't do it. And, and look, you know, kind of rewinding there, the, the Pedro conversation there is an interesting one because if you are trying to change the culture and, and really what we've seen Getz do this entire offseason is what? Try and create accountability for guys and, and create depth with people that he knows have at least appeared in the major leagues and performed on some level and not handing young guys anything, uh, not handing it over and just saying that, you know, not doing the Rick Hahn of we have such a talented group here that they should just be able to go out and sleepwalk their way through 162 games, win the division and make the playoffs. You have something where now if the players don't perform, not only do you have an excuse to get rid of the players because you can sit there and say, I told you it was you guys, not my manager. Okay, it was not Pedro's fault that you guys didn't perform the year before for him. That's on you guys to become Major League Baseball players and perform as professionals. But he can also then sit there and say, you know, okay, fine. If I see life out of my players and we still don't make it, then I can tell the players, look, we're going to take you to the next level because I'm going to go out and get you a real manager now. Pedro, nice guy, but we're going to go out and get somebody that's good. And and Eric Fetty talking about that, I think Brian Bannister is one of the most interesting hires because of what the Giants had the reputation of doing, and that's where Bannister comes from, and that's where Katz comes from too. And and Fetty's training where he is is trying to emulate some of what Logan Webb does, who's the ace of the Giants staff, really, that is a huge thing because the Giants were known for taking guys who had talent, were not able to put it together at the major league level, and turning them, finding the thing that they needed to turn themselves into something big. Okay, so uh, Kevin Gaussman's a great example of that. He was a guy that was, you know, he, he was mired in long relief slash swingman role slash he got some opportunities to start when he was with the Braves. He kind of jumped around. He really wasn't anything, but he had some pitches. He had some talent. Goes to the Giants, becomes a legitimate ace, and that's where he stands now, right? Signs a big contract with Toronto and gets an opportunity to, you know, basically make his money and, and resurrect his career. And if I'm Eric Fetty, who 
again, high pedigree when he was with the Nationals. You know, he was he was one of their guys that they were counting on turning into something. He goes to the KBO. He goes and trains with with Logan Webb and and you know and that culture goes to the KBO, tries the stuff out, basically wins their Cy Young, right? He wins the the Choi Dong One Award, and now he gets to come back and show that he can do it at a major league level. And he does it on a two year deal with the White Sox, where he is going to be a part of this rotation no matter what, right? If he had gone to the Yankees, who knows? If he goes to the Dodgers, who knows if the Dodgers actually give him the starts, right? If you go to a contender that already has a full rotation, great. He picked a team that has a chance to, you know, do make some noise in a weak division, but he is guaranteed a spot in this rotation because literally when he signed, we had Dylan Cease and we had Dylan Cease. <laughs> And Dylan Cease, and Dylan Cease was going to get traded. So Eric Fetty was was really he was not only guaranteed a spot in the rotation, he was the rotation for about ten minutes there. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Uh, and we don't know. We may still have Dylan Cease. I love the game of chicken. I'm not going to get into it that much today. We talk about it ad nauseum. But I, I love know. the game of chicken. And I did notice that after there was that almost there was a thing. There was like a flurry on social media where it was clear that. Getz had said, I'm not moving on my price. And the Orioles were trying to make it seem like they had changed directions. And they started talking about James Paxson. Like, that's the guy who was coming out. And it was like, oh, he might sign with the Orioles, right? And you, and now you see that was probably them pushing that because nothing happens. And a week or so later, uh, he goes to the Dodgers, who signed him for $12 million. A guy that I don't think has 100 innings Why or would more you a sign? year for the last couple of years. I mean, like they just have stupid money and they're just handing it out. You don't have stupid money, especially if you run your own company. That's why you got to talk to Butch Zemar at Elite Benefits of America. One of the ways that you bring in better employees, one of the ways that you retain the employees you have is by offering the best benefits. And health insurance is something that everybody wants, and they want health insurance that makes sense for themselves and their families. It is time to look at how you're providing insurance to your employees or set up new insurance if you've never done it before. It's not as hard or expensive as you may think. Have Butch take a look at your company right now. It's free. He's going to map it all out, give you all the options. And if you're out there on your own looking at insurance, give Butch a call as well. He'll take you through the process. He'll try to help you out. 708-535-3006 or visit EliteBenefits.net. The White Sox have so much they could still do with their staff. I am kind of starting to buy in. I'm very afraid that this is the fanboy in me because I, you know, I do love this team. Well, we're, we're allowed to fanboy a little bit here, right? I mean, that. What what's the point of us talking White Sox baseball if we can't get excited or can't try and find reasons to be excited? Don't about the don't team? say excited. I'm not excited. I have cautious Why? optimism that something good might. Like I look I look at what people say about Bannister and I look at what these pitchers have in terms of potential and I sit there and say to myself they probably can find a couple of pieces that throughout the season they'll say yes this person's working out let's extend them or you know let this that we found something here and that guy is comfortable because they've been resurrected here in Chicago or have become what they always wanted to be in Chicago because it seems like the right people have been brought in for player development, something that we really haven't had in this franchise. Like, this is a very new thing to wrap your head around. Like, most franchises have an identity. The White Sox have really never had an identity, except for the fact that Kenny Williams sees a guy who's a marquee name, and he goes out and gets him probably past his prime, right? Uh, Rick Rick Hahn believes in the prospects and, uh, you know, makes a lot of promises that he really can't come through on. And at some point, when everything's about to work out, uh, the old man steps in and hires his old friend to come in and fall asleep in the dugout. Like, I mean, that's what the White Sox identity is. But there are other teams who have identities of, 
We take players that have incredible potential that haven't made it and we turn them into something. And that's why the Bannister hire is so exciting to me because the Giants are a team that not only do that, but have done it so effectively. If you look over the last decade or so, they've won some championships. Like they've actually been able to find things that make them competitive year in and year out in a really difficult division where the big bad Dodgers roam and where the the Padres were going absolutely insane with their payroll, the way that they were handling things. And they just sit in there and they're like, yeah, we're doing it our way and we're finding things that we can use to be a very competitive, dangerous team. And so there's part of me that looks at the all these pitchers as hodgepodge of pitchers and I go, okay, look, Garrett Crochet is probably not going to be a starter. You know, I mean, and if he is, he's not going to pitch very long. And I don't think he's really the answer. And they want to see whether or not he can be fixed. Okay, fine. But I look at Soroka and I look at Fetty and I go, these are two guys that very legitimately under the under this group, looking at their track record coming in to take control of things with the White Sox could grow something that we're going to sit around and say, wow, it's really nice. We got those two pieces here and we were able to get Soroka to sign. Right. And, and when he gets because he's only got one year of control and Fetty's on two, but then we're going to turn around. We're going to extend him in the offseason and say, forget the two years. Let's push you out because you became something that we really liked. And, and we're starting to fill those holes. And let's be honest, this team could go out right now. There are so many free agents still available that you've built the base. You have the Nicky Lopez's and the Paul DeYoung sitting there being defensive and really nothing else in the middle of your infield, right? Being the placeholders in case uh, you can find somebody that hasn't developed yet in the minors that slides in that role or better yet, maybe go out and sign a legit player for those roles. You, you have your base, but there's so much sitting out there right now. So much, so much sitting out there. I still believe, like I look at, Elvis Andrus is still sitting out there and there's a guy who plays defense who was worth like a four war or something like over the last couple of years. I mean, I don't know if they want to bring him back, but they seem to love him. He didn't sign until spring training. Like, I'm looking at what's available out there, and I'm saying, you can grab a pitcher, you can get a right fielder, you can add to your team. I'm not saying you're winning a division, but I don't know if you're a 100-loss team, and you have the payroll flexibility right now. When I look at what the White Sox have, like, according to Track right now, the, the total salary, if they take the pre-arbitration salaries, they figure out their retained salaries, deferred salaries, they got them listed as a projected total payroll of $131 million. They can be bigger than that. They can spend they can spend more than that. They can add players. And I think that they will add players. I think they're literally sitting back uh, for two reasons. One, they want to see who gets panicky because they still don't have a chair yet and the music's about to end and we're getting to pitchers and catchers and there's so many free agents out there that somebody will actually come and sign the one-year prove-it deal or agree to the terms that they've already offered and that guy's looking for something better and the Sox may end up being the better offer. And two, will the Orioles finally blink and do the thing that actually they should be doing? That any expert who looks at it says, why wouldn't a team that's trying to win right now go out and get seats for the next two years at that price, especially when their penny-pinching owner isn't going to give them the ability to play with the big boys in the sandbox, and they actually make the trade and you acquire a right fielder? I don't think they're done yet. I understand the frustration, though. Yeah, and there there is... No talk around the White Sox about something sexy like Blake Snell or... Uh, you know, Bellinger. Yeah, but would you give Blake Snell what, what Boros is asking for? He wants like $200 no. million. Are you kidding me? Like, I mean, like, that guy isn't worth that. He can't pitch past the sixth inning most times. No, and that's that's part of this, too, is that Blake Snell, he's made a name for himself because he's had success. There's no doubt about it. He's a talented pitcher, but I, I wouldn't give him $200 million right now because he's not a reliable guy necessarily. And, and by the way, that's what Dylan Cease is going to be asking for because that's his agent, and the two of them are so comparable, it's not even funny. 
Most most national media is saying, who would you rather have? And they argue over it because of how similar they are in terms of their skill set. Right. And you might find yourself wanting Dylan Cease. Although, what's our big complaint about Dylan Cease? He, doesn't, he rarely goes past the fifth inning. Same guy. Yeah. So it was a very similar guy. And, you know, when you look at somebody like Bellinger, you sit there and go, okay, well, how would he look? He's an excellent defensive outfielder, right? And how would he look for the White Sox? Well, you know, the reason why he hasn't signed yet is because he's kind of overvalued, and the Cubs, who really enjoyed having him on the north side of Chicago, also look at his batted ball metrics and go, yeah, we're not entirely sure your success was completely earned or completely sustainable. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things that when you look at the remaining free agent pool, you can sit there and go, okay, are these guys asking for more than they really should be? Why have they signed? Why hasn't Tim Anderson signed anywhere? Well, I have a guess that Tim Anderson's probably asking for more money than anybody's willing to give a guy who had some defensive lapses, offensively was down last year. There's a reason why he's not on the White Sox anymore, because if he had had an excellent season, I don't know that that he would have been let go. So there's, you know, there's always questions, but yeah, as we get closer to it, you know, one of the things that guys are going to be looking at is what Eric Fetty said about the White Sox. There's an opportunity here. If I'm a pitcher that expects to start and wants to try and figure out if I've got a place in a rotation, I am going the Eric Fetty, Chris Flexen route, okay? As, as two guys who were formerly part of, of rotations elsewhere, I'm going that route and I'm going to see if I can't beat out whatever the heck the White Sox have. Am I scared of Jesse Schultons? Am I scared of Tanner Banks? Okay. Am I scared of Michael Kopech? Probably not. No, I wouldn't be if I were him. I I don't consider Michael Kopech to have a higher ceiling right now than what Fetty is because I still think that eventually he's a, he's a bullpen piece. They're going to give him one more year because it's not a competitive year. So you might as well see whether or not he can prove everybody wrong. You might as well see whether or not Bannister can unlock something that nobody else has been able to unlock. And maybe they do. And if they do, I'll be the first one to say, finally, you know, like I'd be happy for him, right? But I, I also, I, I look at him right now and I say, you have not shown me anything that makes me believe that you're anything better than a bottom of the rotation guy who probably would be far more effective for a team and worth more to a team that's competing, coming out of the bullpen, able to do two innings and just, just blow people away in big situations. Look what Josh Hader just signed for and tell me that you don't think Michael Kopech could play at that level. Hader started as a guy who was going to be a starter. That was the whole thing in, in Milwaukee. He, I remember because I had him in my fantasy team in my dynasty league. He was like projected as like one of the top prospects for like the rotation. The Brewers just recognized very early on that he was going to be really effective being a guy that he could bring in in high leverage situations and he could go for more than one inning. And so they became really valuable and they were competing at the time. So all of a sudden they put him in there and sometimes he closes and sometimes he comes in the seventh inning in the big moment and he, and he makes all that hay. And then you see him throughout his career now lean into it and look at the contract the guy just signed with the Astros. It's insane for a relief pitcher. It blows Liam Hendricks' deal out of the water. Michael Kopech's giving up money as far as I'm concerned because he is never going to make Josh Hader money being a bad starting pitcher. I would love to see Michael Kopech closing for the White Sox this year. And, and, and you know, if he is going to start... Then what I want to see out of Brian Bannister and, and the and the pitching development staff that is being put together in this identity is exactly what Eric Fetty was talking about with his change to what he is now, what gave him success over in Korea, which is adding a pitch, adding, you know, some wrinkles, changing some things around so that he can be a different guy and he can give different looks than what he had. The biggest complaint about Kopech was the complaint we had a couple of years ago. Last time the Sox were really 
Yeah, when we were talking about actual playoff games with the White Sox, okay, where the Astros lit them up because every single one of their pitchers was fastball, slider, fastball, slider, fastball, slider, occasional curve, occasional changeup. But Lance Lynn, we had problems. He's all fastball. Sure, some of them are cutters, some of them are sinkers, but all fastballs. Kopech, fastball slider, fastball slider. That's all Kopech was. That's all Carlos Rodon was, even though he was having an outstanding year. He was high fastball and then slider, and teams could pick up on that. And if you were good handling those, the Sox were done. So if Michael Kopech can develop the same split change that Eric Fetty developed, that that Brian Bannister and the Giants helped Logan Webb develop, that's a huge thing. If Michael Soroka can give them a different look, if if Schuster can give them a different look, Garrett Crochet, if Chris Flexen can come back to what he was with the Mariners a couple of years ago where he was a very effective starter, not a top-end guy, but back end of the rotation, very effective innings eater, pitch-to-contact kind of a guy that just went out, got outs, got his job done, put you in a position to, to potentially win a game – the Sox will be fine from a rotation standpoint, but that's what player development is all about. It's it's about having a Dylan Cease at the top of your rotation. It's about having an ace or two and then finding guys to fill it out and having enough depth that when somebody goes down, you have another guy that steps in and can go in and get outs and eat innings and you're not worried about it. It's not about having the five hardest throwing guys that can only go five, five and a third and then turning it over to a very expensive bullpen that you wear out to the point where you know, it's, there's arm injuries left and right. Exactly. That's got to stop. Socks in the Basement has a brand new marketplace over at SocksInTheBasement.com powered by Vouch, supporting small business and entrepreneurs. We're going to be adding to this little by little, but I'm looking for places that have interesting stories that you just can't get anywhere. Let me introduce you to Split Rock Coffee, now available in the store at SocksInTheBasement.com. It is veteran-owned. Actually, two disabled veterans started this coffee shop, and the coffee supports disabled veterans. So you drink coffee, and it's for a good cause. A 10-ounce bag of the dark roast, the medium roast, whatever you like, just around 15 bucks, and their two-pound whole bean bag is right around 20 They also have a cold brew coffee special package and much more. It is available right now in the Socks in the Basement store powered by Vouch. Check out Split Rock Coffee and all the other hand-picked items that we've just put inside of the store. More to come. Get it at SocksInTheBasement.com. I want to just go back to the Kopech thing just for a quick second here because, I mean, I, I feel like I, I, I want to make sure that it's very clear because maybe somebody that has Michael Kopech's ear will actually listen to it and say, wait a minute, that's a good point. Probably not, but maybe they'll say that. Hater got five years and $95 million, $19 million a year. And I look at some of the guys right now who I would compare to a Michael Kopech who have accomplished far more, like James Paxton. We just talked about him, right? I mean, that's a guy who's injured a lot, but he's he's had a little bit more success, right? And and a team gave him $12 million. Michael Kopech is not getting $19 million over five years as a starter. In fact, I don't think at any point in his career he's ever going to get himself to anywhere near that point. And again, it goes back to the idea that the guy somewhere stubbornly in his brain believes he can do this. And I'm sorry, at some point we all have, just like a player at a certain level goes to the next level and says, wait a minute, I'm just not good enough at this level, right? 
you were very successful and very hyped, but there's got to be a point where you start to say, wait a minute, I would be really good in the bullpen. Dennis Eckersley became a Hall of Famer and one of the greatest closers in history after being a failed starter. Actually, like, that's kind of unfair to him. He, he was really good in his 20s. He put up some really good metrics and had bad luck with wins and losses. But he gets into his 30s. He's had a couple of seasons that aren't that good. He could have been stubborn and hung in there. He converts to being a closer, Hall of Famer. He was not a Hall of Famer, anything close to it, prior to that decision. I mean, I know there are guys who are completely failed starters. Mariano Rivera. Right. I mean, like, it, and it's right there for him. There's been so much. And Getz sees it. Getz has already made comments since he got into the GM chair about how good he looks coming out of the bullpen. I really feel that this team wants him there. And they're dealing with a stubborn player. And, and that's one of the things that have always frustrated me about the White Sox and something I would like to see Chris Getz and company change that the team under the last regime allowed players to pout and force their way into things that didn't make any logical sense. And I point right at Aloy Jimenez with the being angry that he was a DH. But it was the right move, okay? An oft-injured player who's not that good defensively in the first place being moved into the DH role is the right move. And there was all this hemming and hawing and trying to keep him happy. The same thing with Tim Anderson. We watched Tim Anderson get used by, what, the, the, a former player who was doing a morning show on MLB Network that gets brought in to run the national team, right? And that guy's able to tell Tim Anderson, you're better as a second baseman. And he listens to him, but when he's over here, unable to field his position very well. I'm sorry. He goes back there behind third base. He's not making that play. Bobbles the ball constantly. His throws are always offline. His whole thing was the fact that he had to hit 300 or better to justify standing it short and being a below-average defender. And he, he was able to justify it, and the moment he couldn't justify it, you saw all the holes in his game. And that's why he's sitting out there right now. That's why Tim Anderson, who everybody was shocked that the White Sox didn't tender and that they paid out. Here's a guy who's an all-star. Here's a guy who ran around the bases during the corn game out there in Iowa. Here's a guy who was like the beloved player coming off the bench that Mark DeRosa was like, oh my goodness, we're so lucky to have Tim Anderson, but he was playing him at second base. And T.A. so stubbornly wanted to be the leadoff hitter when he hadn't earned it last year. And so stubbornly, like, like it felt as though the White Sox couldn't move him. Right. Another team is going to have to convince him to do it. There's a reason he's still sitting out there. OK. And some of these some of these players, I mean, that's been a thing amongst the White Sox. I'm sorry. There's too many guys who just don't aren't humble enough. OK. It's not just one guy. I'm not just picking on one. I've mentioned three guys already who aren't humble enough to realize that they would help their team more. And they would probably improve their stock as a player if they could admit to themselves that they're just not at the level to do the thing that they want to do. And I think every athlete suffers from it. Just like a high school athlete can't understand why he can't make the varsity team. It's the same thing. It's just happening at a higher level. And the Sox have always allowed it to fester and, and actually influence decisions on their team. And that's what I want to not see happen anymore. And so far, I feel like it's possible it won't happen anymore. But I am looking at how they handle Kopech. And I am looking to hear what Eloy Jimenez says this year. If they go out and actually get a right fielder like they should, are we going to be listening to him saying, but I want to be out in the field? And will they be placating him this year or will it be different? Well, and that goes back to Getz trying to create accountability amongst players instead of just blaming the coaching staff or blaming, you know, whatever external factors. Okay. 
if you're going to be accountable as a player, then that you have to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are and where it is exactly that you fit into this thing. So Michael Kopech might need to sit there and say at some point, you're right, he might need to sit there and say, look, there's no closer on this team. There's no there's no anointed closer. So I would love to start, but if I got to go out there and come in to close out games and I can come in and you know, just throw as hard as I can and throw that wicked nasty slider. I mean, he still has a nasty slider. I mean, his stuff is still ungodly when he's when he's right. But if he comes out and he becomes a premium closer in the game, he's going to have a tremendous amount of value. If he comes out and just doesn't get it done as a starter again, his career might as well be over at that point because no one's going to give him another chance. And, you know, as far as Aloy Jimenez is concerned, he's got a job to do. He's got to be able to hit and and because he's not going to be upper echelon defensively ever in his career. I don't care how hard the guy works. It's just some guys have it, some guys don't. And at some point, you look at these guys, they're no longer young. They're no longer up-and-comers necessarily. This is when they were supposed to be in their prime, okay? We're not talking about a bunch of 23-year-old rookies anymore. It's been a few years. All of these guys kind of are what they are to a certain degree, and I know it's maybe not fair to say that they don't have anything left that they can prove or that they can't get better, and I'm not saying that, but... You're right. Why should we even be talking about Aloy Jimenez in the field at this point? Because we know it's not a good idea and it's not going to happen. So if he can't handle it, then that's the situation where you sit there and go, maybe we're not getting the value we need off of him because the trade market for a guy like that is pretty thin. But if somebody's willing to offer us something, if Aloy Jimenez is a problem because he's complaining, then Aloy Jimenez needs to go. Okay, if if somebody's not performing, then they need to go. And it doesn't matter what their pedigree was, what their hype was coming into the White Sox. It's just a question of whether or not they're accountable. And if Getz is really doing what it looks like he's doing by creating a base, by creating depth, okay, by creating competition, by not giving Oscar Colas the nod in right field right away, by not anointing anybody, it's one of those things where you have an opportunity at least to sit there and say as a new GM, I'm going to purge the mistakes of my predecessor. And one of the big mistakes of Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams was hubris with those guys. It was always, always, always. They were the smartest guys in the room. Their players were the best. Nothing was ever wrong in White Sox land with those two in charge. And if Chris Getz has any shred, any shred of accountability in himself, any shred of professionalism as a GM, he is going to put the White Sox in a position where he can sit there and say to a player, I don't need you anymore because you're not doing what's best for my team and you're not listening to me and you're not going to grow into what I can use you for. Bye-bye. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.